Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hey there, welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. Rob Howe joined as always by Scott Dockman from The Athletic. It is Thursday, July the 14th. Oh, a little before 10 a.m., 9.45 a.m. Central Time. (laughs) Scott and I were talking before we started recording about all the things that have happened since the last time we... uh, we recorded a podcast, which was over two weeks ago now, because we did it on Wednesday, because we were both going on vacation that Thursday, which would have been June 30th, when UCLA and USC joined the uh, Big Ten, and Caden Proctor committed to Iowa on our first day of vacation. So uh, just kind of funny how that, that stuff happens, and we'll talk about that stuff today, even though it's a little bit stale, um, it's still big news, and uh, we'll kind of uh, fold it into other conversations here with Gary Barta's media availability, and, uh, NIL Collective for the players that was released since the last time we talked, and media availability on Tuesday, so plenty of, to get to today, a little basketball recruiting as well, uh, as Fran McCaffrey tries to fill out his 2023 class. Um, one question I had for you that I want to start off with, Scott, is something we've talked about throughout the summer on this podcast, and I'm sure people are wondering um, where the media rights deal is now. We, we were expecting that at the beginning of this month at the latest, and now, obviously, the, the expansion changes the timetable on that. But I would think they need to get to something relatively soon. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting timetable. Um, I haven't gotten a clear uh, clear line of discussion from the Big Ten sources that I usually talk to about this because uh, you know some big news happened two weeks ago. But <laughs> they, uh, you know, everything was progressing to the point where they were gonna, they were first supposed to to be around Memorial Day then. When I talked to, you know, a source I trust a lot, he's like, well, it's probably more mid-June. And, and that was related after the, uh, after the chancellors and presidents were supposed to meet. And then I caught up with him a little later. And he's like, well, it's 
probably not quite that. It's probably going to be more in the neighborhood of between 4th of July and, and Big Ten Media Days. And then, and then of course, uh, adding uh, two powerhouse brands in USC, UCLA, you know, changes the financial figures quite a bit. Now, how much do some, how much were these uh, networks uh, aware of that situation before it was announced? I don't really know. We'll probably know more once it's released and we can get a kind of a full accounting of the situation, but it certainly ups that Annie, I've seen as much as 25%. Um, so if you're looking at a billion dollars a year, you can be looking at now $1.2 billion a year in your media rights. And, 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 and because of that, it does change some of the dynamic because number one, obviously your inventory has gotten so much better. Uh, USC, no matter how good or bad they are, they're still a brand people watch. So if USC is playing at Nebraska or is playing at Iowa or Michigan State, let alone Ohio State or Penn State or somebody like that, that's a, that's a must-see event. That's one that the networks are going to sign me up now. UCLA has similar, it's probably in the same neighborhood as, a, you know, probably Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, as far as, uh, you know, brand recognition nationally. And then, of course, when they're playing teams from that area, they generate a lot of uh, traffic. So that's going to boost everybody's uh, revenue up. So if you're, Fox has already locked it up. We already know that. But if you're CBS versus NBC versus Amazon Prime versus ESPN, how much does this matter? How much were you willing to pay more for it? And is the Big Ten willing to say, you know what, we're going to actually add another network or one more game per week on a certain uh, platform to, to accommodate, uh, you know, that addition? So I think there's some things they're working through. I don't think it's going to be much longer. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out by the end of the month, you know, maybe by Big Ten Media Days, what what actually ends up happening. But still, it's 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 a it's something that yeah they do need to kind of get moving on and finish up, you know. But but of course, then there's the Notre Dame factor, you know. Notre Dame joins what you know, which is under discussion. It hasn't been. There's no yes or no yet, but uh, that will change the dynamic too. Yeah, no question. And uh, I know when you guys met with. Gary last Friday, he said he didn't feel like anything was imminent in terms of expansion. And that makes sense. But I also don't trust these people anymore with anything they say. I mean, it was basically a year timetable from the Oklahoma, Texas to the USC, UCLA. And it was, you know, a tit for tat. I mean, you know, the SEC did it last year. The Big Ten did it this year. And we'll kind of see where the chips fall from here on out. But it's been seismic, the moves the last two summers. And uh, it really will change the landscape of college athletics moving forward. And obviously, the media rights deal is, you know, at the forefront of that, the TV stations. If you remember last year in the summer, you know, ESPN got itself involved in, you know, you know, accused of, be, you know, directing that move um, and others. And uh, Fox at least was able to stay above the fray with this UCLA. Everybody kind of learned their lesson from what happened last year. So um, it'll be interesting moving, moving forward and how big these conferences get. I know I've had people ask me on the mailbag, do I see like two super conferences? I think that's going to be hard and it almost defeats – it almost is like they won't be conferences because you're going to have pods, pods 
that make like smaller conferences within a bigger conference. So the, are those really the big conferences or yeah. are those are smaller conferences? I mean, you can only get so big from a scheduling standpoint. Yeah. Then it becomes like an association. And yeah. As opposed to a, it's uh, like the, it's like the NFL. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really, never more is this, never is this more clear that this is about brand acquisition and, and revenue. That's really all it is. So when people are looking at Washington or Oregon, um, Utah, the Arizona schools, even in the Southeast, Florida State, that's a different animal altogether because their grant of rights are just so prohibitive that it's really hard for them to break out of that. But let's let's focus on the Pac-12 schools when, you know, the first day you're thinking, okay, the Big Ten's not done. What's coming next? And it's Washington and Oregon. Well, can they walk into the Big Ten and generate at minimum the same amount of revenue that everybody else is going to get if they walk in the door, but more than likely can they generate more? USC and UCLA can. That's, you know, the 25% number is significant. But the right now it appears that Washington and Oregon is more of a below status quo. So rather than, you know, if, if, they, if everybody gets, let's say, $80 million today from the next media rights deal per year, if Washington and Oregon join, it might only be 73 and you know that's that's the that's the brand that's the big number. Now with the ACC that people have talked about, I don't see that one happening for a long time. Number one, because their grant of rights are through twenty thirty six, and that's just so ironclad. You really have to fight. And two, the the biggest factor is ESPN owns the properties, both of them, ACC and SEC. And in order to enhance one, you've got to devalue the other. And one of them's already enhanced to the point where. Adding Clemson doesn't make the SEC that much uh, that much better necessarily. I mean, they've already got great brands, whereas uh, the ACC would lose significantly, you know, without a Clemson or a Florida State. So, I think we're other than Notre Dame, I think we're at a kind of a pause. You know, the Big Ten will probably evaluate this. I think USC and UCLA, um, you know, I think they're, they're they might have to wait a few. Years. I think they might have to see how does this work for them. Um, it, it'll be fine for everybody else in, in the Midwest and out east, even because uh, they only will have one trip out there and it's just one long flight. Um, but for USC and UCLA traveling, not football, but all the other sports, that's where the the challenges and logistical hurdles lie. And and there may come a point in four years, six years, where they're saying. You got to do something for us, man. This is just you know, intolerable. We're never going to be what we want to be in, in these sports and be competitive in baseball or, or volleyball or basketball unless we can have some teams in our part of the world. Yep. And uh, as Scott said, Notre Dame is really the big piece that sits out there for everybody. Um, I know I, I think it was Feinbaum yesterday was talking about – Notre Dame going to the SEC. I don't know why people are beating that drum that Notre Dame's going to the SEC. I just don't see it. Um, I think it's Big Ten or independent staying with what, but it's got to evaluate that. I just don't see it as a fit with the SEC. Yeah, I mean, every measurable determines that the Big Ten is their best option if they were to pick one of these leagues. Um, the ACC right now is devalued i mean for notre dame it's got to be a couple of there's a couple factors as well one is 
um, you know, it's, it's revenue. I mean, that's really the big thing. As long as they have access to the college football playoff, which I think is is tops. But after that, it is revenue when you're looking at getting 30 to $35 million, which is still a lot um, from its own singular media rights arrangements to Indiana getting $82 million or whatever it ends up being and Purdue getting the same and everybody else. It's like, wow, okay, we're leaving a lot on the table being independent. And then you look through the big 10, you know, the, the proximity to competing against these schools um, in every sport. I mean, it's, it's a hop, skip and a jump to go to Chicago, to go to, you know, Lansing and, and let alone West Lafayette and, and Columbus. And then you've got, you know, their rivalry factor. I mean, USC is their biggest rival. And now that then they can play it under a conference umbrella and still maintain some of their, uh, you know, traditional foes and, and have some flexibility within it. So that I don't see the SEC being any kind of a player in that. Now, if Notre Dame can somehow remain independent, if they're capable of financially sustaining their model and, uh, and they still have similar access to a college football playoff structure, then I could see them remaining independent. But if, but they've got to look at that financial landing spot and go, wow. I mean, if we're making half of what Illinois is making, <laughs> something's wrong here. We, you know, they're the king brand. They're one of the great brands and, and, and sports, let alone college sports. So I think that's uh, something that's probably going to tip the scales in their balance to, to move to the Big Ten. Yeah, and when it happens, we'll, we'll find out. Um, it looks like uh, at least speculation is, Scott, that the divisions will probably remain now in, in 224 because of uh, the additions of USC and UCLA, and that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it'll be for two more years, this year and next year, and then, and then they'll go away. And it, it's going to be an interesting discussion as to what the model is we've talked about it before um now you add two more pieces to that pie who goes where and when um you know do you get three uh rivals or you get two if you get three the scheduling model is pretty simple and i know that's something that most league schedulers love (laughs) you know because you can just play three six six which is the same teams every you know three teams the same uh every year and then you rotate, you know, either every other year for everybody else or every two years, two years on, two years off. Um, the question is how many are considered permanent versus maybe take a look at it every four years. And like in Iowa's case, you know, Gary Barta seems to be very pessimistic that they'll be able to keep all three of their primary rivals, uh, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. I think it's, I, I hey, you know what, your, your second seniority in the Big Ten say, I'll do whatever you guys want, but we got to do this. Just give me this one. That's what I would do. But, you know, he's, he's Gary. Um, but, you know, I think like, I, you know, I was looking at some of these like Pence or uh, let's say Michigan and Ohio state. Uh, let's take Michigan, for example, they'll play Ohio state and Michigan state every year, but maybe their third one is kind of a rotational rival. Like maybe for four years, they're playing Rutgers and then maybe it's UCLA. Uh, Maybe USC and UCLA, of course, they'll play one another, but in the current Big Ten structure, maybe it's, you know what, let's match them up with bigger brands or at least uh, like USC's case, USC versus Penn State, UCLA versus Nebraska for a four-year block. I think that would be kind of interesting and 
And, uh, you know, th those two schools in particular are, are kind of outliers in some ways, Penn State and Nebraska, because they had uh, a lot of success before they came to the league. They haven't really, um, you know, they still feel a little bit like outliers. So I think they can kind of commiserate with USC and UCLA. So, but whether it's two or three, I think it's going to probably ultimately be the final decision. Yeah, and then obviously whoever the, the media, Fox and other media rights partners are going to be like, yeah, you could do it that way, but we can get this game together. Mm -hmm. And they're going to want marquee games where, you know, as many as, as possible. And uh, maybe some of those traditions go by the wayside because of it. We'll just have, kind of see. I'm sure they'll try to work together to, for the best for everybody, but ultimately it's TV that drives the bus and they're going to want, they're going to want as many of the, USC, Ohio State, and USC, Michigan games as they can get. Yeah, and that's why there won't be a divisional. Uh, you know, some people try to speculate, oh, well, this makes it easy. You just move Purdue to the east and UCLA and USC to the west. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you really think that they want more <laughs> USC to play Illinois or Northwestern or Minnesota every year and not Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan State or Michigan on a regular basis? I mean, that they, you know, they're going to want to cycle through those games. They're not going to get them every year, but they're going to want to cycle through as many as possible. And, you know, and the interesting part is in, in kind of analyzing everybody's kind of rivals and doing it from their perspective, not necessarily mine, is Iowa's unique in that it, it's the only one you could really say that has three priority rivals. Um, you know, whether it's Minnesota has two, it's Wisconsin and Iowa. Same thing with Wisconsin. Uh, Northwestern has one in Illinois, and then it has – you know, it, it, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Iowa is kind of important ones. You know, Purdue, maybe it's Illinois, their number two, but Indiana's their number one. You know, Mar Maryland Rutgers don't really have anybody. So it's just kind of a fascinating discussion as to how deep they want to go. Iowa may be the outlier in saying we need three. Everybody else wants two, and they want to cycle through as much as possible. But, of course, they're going to want, you know, that first game and, the horseshoe, you know, or, you know, USC at Ohio State or at the big house or at Penn State or something like that. They want to make a splash and they want to have those games on as often as possible because it really adds to the inventory for the Big Ten uh, from that perspective. Um, I was still away on vacation, so I was not there. Um, any other uh, highlights you want to hit? I know a lot of the, the Gary Barta press conference was related to conference expansion. I guess we can kind of segue into NIL discussion because I know that was a big, big part of the press conference as well. Um, nothing really changed with that from what I read. I mean, I read the transcript. I think we kind of know what Iowa's objective and approach is here. And he kind of, I don't want to say doubled down, but he, he just basically reiterated what the stance is from Iowa's perspective. Yeah, I mean, they're still very um... – you know, they're still playing, doing like Iowa. I mean, you know, win, graduate, do it right. And But it does sound like that that the actual collective is going to be underway next week. Um, you know, the outside collective, there's the Iowa City NIL Club or whatever for the athletes. I think they're kind of putting it together. And that's kind of a, isn't that a model that's going on around the country, the thing that the, that the Iowa players are doing? I, I don't, you may know the company that's kind of um, leading this. Yeah, I don't know much about it. I, I've kind of not 
I've been focused on other things, you know, unfortunately, last few weeks. But, you know, that's uh, but yeah, there is a company that's kind of going to colleges and setting this up. And it seems like that, you know, the Iowa players have totally embraced it. I mean, they're really I like for it. it. Yeah. I like the idea. I think it's a really good idea. I don't know how much money they'll generate, but I really like the premise. Yeah. I mean, if you get, you know, you're, you, this is exactly, and Barda actually said this, this is exactly what it's intended to do, which is you are making money off your name, image, and likeness, that you have the opportunity to meet people, get exclusive content, that sort of thing for, a, for an annual fee. And, and then the fee goes to the, goes to the players. So I think that's a, you know, I'm not sure who's, you know, how much of the cut they're going to get, but I think yeah. they're going to, you know, is it, but I think they're limiting it to what, 2000 people at a hundred bucks, roughly a pop. And um, so, you know, they're going to get a nice piece. And then, then the other part is, you know, through the, uh, you know, the, what the lawsuit there, the, the Kessler one, I think it was, uh, they're, they're now going to be able, and this, this one I found really fascinating in the way Iowa is going to distribute the money is that each athlete, you know, men's, women's, uh, scholarship, non-scholarship will be eligible for, you know, that uh, academic reward every year up to, I think it's $5,890. And it's going to be two tiered. One is get it up front. The second part is you get it on the back end. So when you graduate, you'll have a decent nest egg. And as we know, and certainly I know for sure, having, uh, you know, kids that one just graduated a year ago, having that financial nest egg at the end of graduation so you can pay for moving expenses and you know getting on the ground you know hit the ground running in your life uh is really vital so i think that's actually a really smart thing that i was doing i mean not not just giving them you know five thousand eight hundred ninety bucks right off the bat but you know okay here's and and he said it's going to depend on who get who gets what when it kind of depends on things but but i think it's really fascinating as far as if if you go through five years or at least four and a half and um, let's say you get, what would that be? You know, roughly uh, $30,000 total, um, a little less than that, but let's say 14,000, you get up front, 1550, you get on the back end. I mean, that's, that's not bad. Yeah. And it's going to depend, you know, um, you know, I, I like what is in place. I like the foundation. It's going to depend on how that matches up with what other schools are doing. That's ultimately, yeah. you know, you're competing against schools on the field and off this field now, and they're, they're interchangeable and, it, you know, interlocked with how that goes. But, you know, Gary still thinks they're not behind. I beg to differ on that. But you know what? If their approach is we're just going to, you know, do the, the win, graduate, do it right. We're going to embrace that, and that's our approach. Then maybe, you know, losing those basketball transfers back in the spring, it wouldn't have mattered if you're not going to change it anyway. So, um, I don't know. It's it's hard to quantify whether they're behind, how much they're behind. Um, you know, we'll talk about some recruits that they got. It hasn't really affected them much in football recruiting to this point, at least as far as we know. You know, Kyler Casper, you can put that out there, but is Iowa going to do anything in the future that would have kept him no matter what? You know, so I sh shouldn't say kept him, brought him yeah. here 
yeah. based on him being a legacy recruit. So there's just so many layers to it, Scott, that it's, it's, I got a, a I had a pretty good conversation with Riley Moss about this on Tuesday, just because he's not taking part in this players collective, the, the Iowa city thing. He's like, yeah. you know what? I'm almost out of here. Leave this for the younger guys. Seth Benson kind of indicated something similar. Uh, I think this, the player NIL group is for the, for the younger guys more. Um, but Riley's like, we'll see. Time will tell whether our approach is going to work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he was like, it seems to be the Iowa messages. The other schools are being nefarious in how they do this. And we're not going to do that. But if those schools get away with it and it's benefiting them, well, I, and I said to Riley, I was like, well, is this model for Iowa sustainable? And he said, I don't know. Time will tell. I really appreciated his honesty. Yeah, no, that's that's great stuff. And and uh, you know, it's actually it I, I think football, as you said, I, I think they've been okay there. Um because you could argue, yeah, that they could have maybe landed uh Kyler Casper, but then you could also say, Why would a receiver like that come to Iowa? Exactly. You know, he, you know, I mean he wants to enhance his uh opportunities at the next level and and Iowa has to do some proving there. That said, um, I do think the lack of NIL has really hurt basketball because this is a this is an offense that's one of the best in the country. This is one that they won the Big Ten tournament, that they produced the player of the year two years ago. Now they're produced right now, you know, in the summer league, the best player at the summer league, um, you know, in a, in a top five draft pick and top four draft pick in, Ke- uh, in Keegan Murray. And you can't, you can't tell me that they can't grab a great post that wants to play in this offense that wants to play for a great program, a program that scores a lot that, um, that churns out all conference and NBA players. Um, that is an IL related. And I think you're going to see the, and even worse is going to be like baseball. Baseball is going to get annihilated by this because um, you know, it's a sport that doesn't have a lot of scholarships you know, 11.7, you know, it's usually spread over 35, 30, whatever players. And uh, if you're in the South where baseball matters and they don't have as many sports to begin with, now they can pretty much offer everybody some almost a full ride just so they can, you know, come there. And then now they can go out and recruit and there's not as much attention on baseball. So they can recruit good players from good teams in the North and say, hey, come down to xyz uh sec school and play for us you can play at a great conference you can play year-round we'll pay uh you know we'll, we'll give you this much of a scholarship but the nil will make up the difference you know and get a plus a, you know that's where i think iowa could be just destroyed and and really ruin a, a, a very good baseball group yeah you look at somebody like keaton anthony yeah right from the you know, uh, you know he's from he's from the SEC footprint. I know he's got ties to to Illinois in the Midwest, but maybe that plays out differently. And you know you talk about the double whammy, the lateness of the draft kind of hurts him anyway. Yeah. And then you throw on something like this, and and then let's say Keaton Anthony is drafted later than he thought he would be, and but then somebody in the SEC says, "Hey, uh, we'll we'll take you," and. Um, and then he enters the transfer portal and, and 
you can complain all you want, but it's not going to really matter. In that sport, you're not going to get the groundswell of, you know, I mean, even like Jordan Addison going from Pitt to USC was a big deal. Um, this would be just as big in that sport, yet it's not going to get any anywhere, excuse me, near the attention. Yeah, no question. And again, with player availability on Tuesday, got a chance to, you know, talk to um, a couple of receivers about Charlie Jones and, that's obviously one that hits home. Um, I don't know how much NIL had to do with that. I don't think it was a, a huge deal in that. I think it was more opportunity. And Spencer Peters talked about Charlie as well. I don't think there are any hard feelings with those guys, although when the Purdue game rolls around, I'm sure both sides are going to uh, want it bad uh, than they normally do with this, I don't know, interesting uh, series with Iowa and Purdue. Um, so – yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think it was Arlen Bruce, wasn't? I, didn't he say he was roommates with Charlie, and he kind of saw it coming a little bit? Yeah, and they were just. It, it's almost like this um, thought process or mindset that we're not going. That dude's our friend, and yeah, he left and went somewhere else, but we understand because there's just a different dynamic now, Scott, with NIL and players and, and empowerment and. Uh, it's just more the norm now than it is the exception. I think, yeah, and, and I think there's probably uh, when you're, you know, he and Keegan and Tori Taylor are roommates with uh, were roommates with Charlie, so I'm sure that they understand it a lot more, you know, on a personal level, and and that's that's different. Um, Riley Moss really didn't want to even talk about it. And I think there is. Okay. I didn't get to him on that. So yeah, that makes sense. He was a little bit more like. That makes sense. You got a hundred player, 120 players on the team. It's not going to, not everybody's going to think of it. You know, and they had their own little rivalry in practice and stuff. I mean, they, they, they squared off a lot. So it was a different dynamic there, but yeah, the, the Iowa Purdue situation the last one that to me that was kind of like this in, in recruiting was Iowa, Michigan state with D'Antonio. It has gotten really ramped up. There has been a lot of Wisconsin uh, with Bielema was similar too. Yeah. That got a little messy. Yeah. This has gotten bad. Um, I'll just say bad. I mean, there's been some things said that really are out of line um, on Purdue's part, I think. And, uh, and so <laughs> you know, him going there based on, you know, they beat beaten Iowa four out of the last five years, their offense, that type of thing. I can expect to see some fireworks when it's Iowa Purdue week, which is funny because for years and years and years, we've joked about the, the series, <laughs> most hated rival, all that yeah. stuff. Protected rival. Yeah. I mean, legends Legend, and leaders. Legend. <laughs> yeah. They were just kind of sitting there going, okay, I guess we'll play each other then. And, and now, uh, you know, most hated, probably. I think they are probably the most hated team on Iowa's schedule. I mean, you know, Iowa State probably close behind. But that takes something to get ahead of Nebraska and Minnesota. Yeah, I know, but uh, the hate is is really very obvious. It's a, it's at first blush. I mean, <laughs> there is some. Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, and we'll see. Kind of, uh, you know, what. Uh what those matchups are like with guys like Riley Moss against Charlie Jones and Tyrone Tracy should be, should be fun to watch. And anything else out of the player interviews that uh, obviously Spencer was the, that's the first time we've got him in a while. And uh, 
I've gotten to the point now, Scott, where it's, you know, I, I really like Spencer as a kid and a guy and he's, he's engaging. He's fun to be around, but we've gotten to the point now where the talk, I don't want to say the talk is cheap, but we really need to just see what happens on the field when the, when the fall rolls around. I mean, he can tell us that the Manning camp was great. I think it was a great experience for him and he's working on getting better and they're streamlining the offense and install and all this other stuff. I, I, I just need to see it. Yeah. I think everybody's there with that. I mean, we have seen, you know, we've seen it for two years and it's been below average, I think is, is the passing game. Um, last year was, F, you know, it failed. The, the numbers suggest that, and, and they're true. They're not, they're not, they're not fake numbers. They're not numbers that you can look at and go, well, yeah, but no, they're, they're, they're a failure. And, uh, and so he can talk about it, but we really need to see him do it uh, before we believe it. And, and, you know, but that said, I think the receivers, I feel a little differently about because they were young, you know, a Keegan Johnson and an Arlen Bruce, they flashed. Uh, I dug up this stat because I wrote about it today about their passing offense. I mean, last year uh, he had 19.6 yards per catch. Keegan Johnson did for any Iowa receiver with more than 15 receptions. That's third. He's the only the, the third guy, Marvin McNutt, no nine and Maurice Brown in 2002. That's it. So he was explosive. He made big plays. Now he had a lot of drops and, and he was inconsistent and he knows all of that. And Arlen Bruce is looking at things and he's like, you know, now, and it's not as much of a blur when he's out there that, you know, he's, he's more focused on the offense as a whole, as opposed to, I need to run this route and do this. And, and that, that makes sense too. So I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that, okay, they could probably make some serious strides. Quarterbacks, the one where, I thought that they were going to make serious strides last year. Remember the, the discussion was, yeah, but there was just, there was COVID and they didn't get a chance to work and they got in there. And then we saw the same thing year after year. Now we know Spencer has a live arm and it's, it's probably smart to streamline the offense in certain ways, but, and be more detail oriented in others. But now you just got to execute. You've got to make sure it's, it's third and six. You got to hit that eight yard pass and, and there's no, you know, you can't throw over, you know, he throws the ball high so often that you got to be better with that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, and I don't blame fans for just wanting to just shrug their shoulders and say, come on, man, <laughs> we've seen this before. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think anybody uh, would, I mean, it'd be a great story if he comes out this fall and just, you know, the light switch goes on and the offense takes off with this defense and you can have a special season. But I think at this point, again, you talk about it to your blue in the face. It, Iowa needs to go out and be better offensively this fall. A lot better. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, to be, what, 121st in total offense. And, I mean, I went through it. You know, they completed 55% of your passes, 12 touchdowns, 11 interceptions run for 3.4 yards per carry. Last year is, a, is an outlier year. You can't do that again and win 10 games and go to the Big Ten Championship. Nope. You're going to lose those games. And so you've got to be better and much better quickly. So I think right now, you know, that I expect them to be better. How much better and, and good enough to take that next step, that's – I don't know. I'm, I'm going to kind of reserve judgment before I make any kind of prediction there. 
Anything else from the player interviews that stuck out to you, Scott? Um, I had a, I had good conversations with a bunch of guys. It's it's kind of nice that summertime it's a little bit more relaxed. You're not in the season. You have a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Personal conversations, just kind of you know more uh, less X's and O's and more uh, just kind of seeing where guys are at. Oh yeah, for sure. I. I... I enjoy talking to most of these players and, and I have over the years anyway, but I would say that the last couple of years, handful of years that I've, I've really enjoyed my interactions more with the players than I ever have before. I think that there are most of them we deal with are pretty high quality and, and they're more candid than they used to be and they feel freer. And um, I would say Keegan Johnson was really interesting. Same thing with Arlen Bruce for that matter and getting them kind of on the side to talk about the offense, what they saw from themselves last year. Uh, you know, Keegan is, um, you know, he's so intense, uh, about things. He's, it's sometimes you got to like, Hey, come on, lighten up a little bit. Cause he just, I think that's just his natural personality. He's been, you know, people have said sometimes he just needs to smile more often and relax, but um, talking to him about like his injury, you know, and, and on that day, it felt so weird, you know, it was like he was there, but you know, I had an abdominal issue and then they kept him out of most of the spring and he still said he's about 90% and just mainly held out as a precaution. And, and he, you know, and it was, so it was pretty significant if you're talking about a six month injury. And I asked him specifics, you know, about, you know, was it like a sports hernia or something? And he's like, I'm not going to go into it, but you know, it was pretty strong and, uh, but just kind of he and, and Arlen, who's kind of a different, <laughs> different, uh, person in, in, in dealing with, he's just, he's more fun and lighthearted, but they're both equally serious in how they treat their, their stuff and, and how they were like, they're watching themselves on tape now and going, ah, oh, man, I can't believe I did it that way. And, uh, you know, the, the one joke I, or, conversation banter I had with Arlen was he was wearing his own sweatshirt, you know, because of NIL. And I'm like, you know, because re we remember when he was in Ankeny and Patrick Mahomes tweeted out, you know, to the mm -hmm. high school athletic association. I'm like, you know what you ought to do is you need to send him a shirt of you and maybe see if he'll wear it. Like even in training camp to interviews and I go, that'll get your brand going really quick. <laughs> like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's a great idea. So, uh, you know, so you see Patrick Mahomes and doing interviews at Chiefs camps and, and camp in an Arlen Bruce t-shirt. You know, his NIL will go through the roof. But, um, you know, as far as Spencer goes, you know, not dissimilar from what you said. You know, it's fascinating to hear some of the things about, um, you know, the Manning camp. And one, he said he and Aiden O'Connell were having a conversation about, another team in the West division. And they called over Eli Manning just to kind of talk to him about how he would deal with it. And, and so that was, uh, that was really kind of an interesting anecdote, but nothing too revealing. And it's, it's as you said, it's summer when they get trapped into the regular season uh, minutia, that's when it gets more difficult to get them to say anything kind of open. Yeah. I'm really hoping uh, that this fall experience for Spencer is um, enjoyable. I sometimes wonder whether he's – I think he enjoys the the football. I think he enjoys his teammates and his coaches. I don't think he's had the best experience in terms of feedback from, from fans. 
Um, I think it's bothered him a lot. He talked about it after the bowl. I kind of got that sense again the other day that it's on his mind. I wonder how much that affects his play. And, you know, you can, I know football's the tough guy game and people could say he's got to be mentally tougher than that and stronger and not let it get to him, but he's human. And I get a sense that his experience here, and I, I mean, I did a story back, I think when Scott Chandler was the quarterback and talked to like, um, you know, other guys that have gone, you know, Matt Sherman and uh, Paul Burmeister and guys that have gone through being in the fishbowl as the starting quarterback at Iowa. And it's different for, you know, Drew Tate went through a tough time and it's not easy. Um, Oftentimes fans want the guy behind you. Um, and each guy's personality is different. And I get, a, I just get a sense, Scott, that that Spencer hasn't enjoyed this as much as he could have. I think that's, I think you're right, and I think that's the the one part of it that you could tell bugs him the most because he's well liked by his teammates. He's a he's a fun loving guy um, that really relates well to everybody. I enjoy my interactions with him more than any other quarterback I always had because I just think he's. Uh, he's, he's looser, but he's, he's able to talk more analytically or want to talk more analytically than the others. He's comfortable in that environment, but it, it's really about game production as we know. And, and uh, I, I would say that the, the two most, the most scrutinized athletes on Iowa's campus are the quarterbacks, number one, and then the basketball players. Um, you know, because their skill positions are not necessarily physical positions. And, um, you know, I've seen it blow up on people. I mean, Adam Woodbury was another one that just got destroyed because he was a top 50 player, but he wasn't the scoring threat All-American that people wanted him to be. So therefore he was, you know, less than what they expected. Um, every quarterback has dealt with it, even Beathard to an extent his last year. And that wasn't his fault. Uh, Nate Stanley dealt with it. He had 68 career touchdown passes. Um, And it was about probably kind of like with Spencer. I think Nate's been more uh, a better quarterback at Iowa so far, but uh, it was about completing big time passes and big time moments. And Nate did more than people remember, but there's still some that he didn't get to. And then, but James Vandenberg was another one that was just destroyed that second year. And, and so, yeah, fans have to remember they're humans. They, social media is so much different than it was even when we were growing up um, where, yeah, people could complain and talk about you, but now you could, it's just so vivid and that makes it really tough. And, and so I feel for these players. I try not to be too hard on them because I do realize that they're still young people. They're still going to college and, and uh, you know, they're not pros. Pros, you know, that's a different animal, but and, uh, you know, he, he wants to make all the right passes. And, and he was so banged up in that whole game after what happened with Michigan. I mean, he was bruised significantly from his chest down to about his knees and every single inch. And I mean, every single inch of his body in that area. So it was just. He got drilled. Yeah. I mean, to the point where he struggled to go to the bathroom. Let's put it that way. And, and so that, I think sometimes his toughness needs to be celebrated and instead it's all hundred percent about production. And, uh, and that's where you get players are treated sometimes as commodities 
and we get to know them as human beings. And that's where the disconnect lies with some fans and, and us in a lot of cases. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think he's against being, I mean, nobody likes to be criticized, but he understands that his his position gets criticized and analyzed and often overanalyzed. It's just when it gets personal on social media and, you know, just gets nasty, that's, there's that line that I think, you know, there's a difference between saying, you know what, he had his second read and he passed it up for his third or fourth read and he's got to be better. I mean, you can criticize and, and analyze, you know, his play, you know, not making the right plays at times, but, you know, just, you know, being nasty and mean and that just, I don't, I don't get that approach from fans, um, their own players, like eating their own. Um, and maybe that trains left the station, Scott, maybe with social media and the ab- availability of everybody to kind of put their opinion out there that just law of averages when you're under the microscope and you are the most analyzed sports position in the state, you're going to get that. Yeah. And it happens everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it, Iowa is not unique. And I, I remember covering, I mean, this is, this is strange. I covered, you know, the Iowa state bowl game and wrote about Brock Purdy. And there were a lot of Iowa state fans who were criticizing him. And I'm thinking, this guy's been the greatest quarterback in Iowa State history. And they're like, no, he's not. He's not. He's not this. He's not that. And I'm thinking, wow, I've watched him play kind of on the side for four years. But uh, it's, you know, there is a lot of scrutiny attached. And it's unfortunate. And, and eating your own. And it, it, it really is a disconnect for me when I see fans celebrate. We're the best fans in the country. And yet you kind of treat your own players in such poor fashion. And uh, and I'm not saying that you should just say, aw, shucks, every time you lose. That's not realistic. I would, I would, I would say, though, that, uh, you know, that there needs to be a little bit more. If you're going to scrutinize it, I agree with you. You know, do it based on their performance, on what they did or didn't do, not just uh, who they are, uh, because that, to me, is, is out of line. And, and especially when you're talking about college athletes. I mean, if you want to go after – you know, Donovan Mitchell for going to that cesspool that you like in New York or, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or whatever, you know, then that's fine. But, uh, you know, I, I just think this is, uh, it's out of bounds and I feel for him. I feel for all of them. I feel for the basketball players too, because they, you know, the, the McCaffrey brothers have felt it. Um, I mean, Jordan Bohannon has felt it and jo- Josh Oglesby was probably ruined by it. And, and so to me, I think that's, uh, that's really unfortunate. Cesspool seems a little harsh, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes, man. I've suffered so long with the Knicks that uh, whatever it takes to get them yeah. back to being competitive year in and year out would be nice. Um, Let's hop into some recruiting, Scott. But before we do that, I would like to let folks know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. We thank Systems Unlimited, Edward Jones, and Wild Rose Casino for their support of the podcast. Um, so yeah, 
the day I go on vacation, Iowa gets the highest ranked recruit in the history of the program, uh, which about that makes, <laughs> makes sense. I got to Fort Morgan, uh, Colorado after yeah. about 10 hours. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll write something up on this 10 hours after everybody else did. But uh, we thought this was kind of the linchpin of the class from the get-go, Scott and Caden Proctor, the offensive tackle from Southeast Polk, uh, huge get for Iowa. Uh, we kind of felt, you know, when he cut things down to Alabama and Iowa that the Hawkeyes were in good position. Um, kind of twofold here. Awesome to get that cornerstone of the class uh, for a second straight year from the same high school in state, beating out national uh, brands for each guy, uh, Xavier Wonkba being the other one. Uh, but also, I think we cautioned this was the Wednesday of our last podcast was several days after the big recruiting weekend wrapped up and people were panicking about, oh, no, you know, Trevor Lauk is the only guy we've gotten so far. Well, they've gotten five guys now out of that weekend. Uh, Khalil Tate, uh, the safety out of Chicago Kenwood, the most recent this past week. But uh, again, that weekend pays dividends for Iowa. It does. And you know, I, I think everybody wants that immediate knee-jerk reaction, and they got it from Trevor Lauk, so therefore I think they're really disappointed that it took a little bit of time before it actually happened. But, but you know, Caden Crocker is, uh, you know, tremendous, of course, for them to, to get. He, he was an essential piece to this program and has, you know, something that they built for a long time. I mean, you know, the entire staff should uh, enjoy celebrate. Troy uh, toast after that one. Uh, and, to, and Tristan Wirfs deserves a little bit of a yeah. nod. Right. Well, Tristan, uh, <laughs> they, they should just send him one every month for what he did here. And then now what he continues to do, but yeah, that was, it was big, but you know, it was crazy because I already had it pre-written. I kind of figured it was coming. And, and uh, then all of a sudden it's like that morning, I'm like, okay, it's going to happen at one. Uh, just letting you know, then all the stuff broke with UCLA and USC and about one fifteen, <laughs> about one fifteen or so. I said, oh, by the way, it's, you could probably publish that story now. The, the highest ranked recruit in the state of Iowa's history and in Iowa's history just picked Iowa. And uh, it's immediately a footnote, but it's not a footnote to this program. Obviously, it's it's he's huge. He's huge in so many ways, of course, size, but um you know, is he the type of guy that could come right in and play right away? I don't know. Um, that'll be fascinating to see. I could see him probably by year two. You know, uh, you know, Tristan was unique. He was the only tackle to ever, you know, true freshman to start a tackle. And that was out of necessity, yeah. if we remember, because uh, Boone Myers and, and Ike Bucker, and Ike's still, uh, you know, starting lineman in the NFL, uh, both were out for the season. So, um, I don't know. He might have played some, but I don't think he would have started. Uh, maybe a guard or something somewhere. But uh, with Caden, you know, and then they, it's going to be interesting to see how he works his way in. Yeah, and it could be a Connor Colby situation where you just kind of, as the season goes on, you incorporate him more and he, he earns more playing time. The guy, I think sometimes we lose track of this and as, as media and fans what a guy looks like, especially a, a young player, yeah. they can make huge leaps between, you know, beginning of August when camp opens 
and the beginning of October, the middle of October, November. We saw it with Tyler Goodson a few years ago. Guys can pick up playing time as the season goes on. And obviously, Caden's got another year of high school left before he gets here. Uh, so we don't know how he's going to develop this next year as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's the, whenever you have a guy like him or AJ Epinesa or a high level recruit coming in, there's always that chance that they can be able to put themselves on the field that first year. Sure. And the, the guys that we mentioned, you know, AJ Epinesa got to play as a rotational player right away. Uh, he made an impact, but his, you know, his greatest impact was year three uh, and year two for that matter as well. Um, you look at Tristan Wirfs, his first year, he was really inconsistent. You know, natural ability was through the roof. As we know, he was as good as any lineman in the country his final year. Um, and, and then two guys, one that just left and one who is stayed um, that were true freshmen in 2019, Dane Belton and Sam Laporta started making their mark about mid season. Uh, started starting games. Northwestern and, game, right? Yeah, Northwestern for Laporta. And I remember the Purdue game was when Dane Belton really yeah. uh, ascended in snaps and stuff. And both became high cal- you know, quality players. And Sam that year as a true freshman led the team in receptions of the Holiday Bowl. So, you know, there, there's a lot of room when you're practicing every day and you're proving your fundamentals. There's a lot of room for that. My expectation is he'll play. He'll, you know, I don't know about Stark, but he'll play. Just like the same thing with Xavier Wampa. I think he'll play this year. Don't know if he'll start. It will just be special teams. So, um, in addition to uh, Caden Proctor and Khalil Tate, who I mentioned, who committed earlier this week uh, yeah. on the 12th, uh, Kenny Mer- uh, Kenneth Merriweather uh, mm-hmm. from Detroit, kind of an outside linebacker, edge type, 6'3", 245, Zach Ortworth, who we've talked about on this podcast, Scott, is an important piece at the tight end position from St. Louis. Um, so that those Proctor, Ortworth, Merriweather, Tate all committed since the Sunday that that official visit weekend ended, which was the day that Trevor Lauk committed. So five from that weekend, 17 total now. Iowa is 15th overall nationally. According to rivals, uh, really good. At this point now, you've got probably, I don't know what, five to eight left to play with here somewhere, depending on a tree. It's, I tell people, too, that it's, it's, it's fluid and people don't like to hear that. But you can have attrition this fall. You, just, you don't know what's going to open up here by the time we get to December. We're still quite a ways there. Obviously, wide receiver is still the need. You've got Alex Moda in the group, but that's really – uh, they offered, uh, speaking of Dave Belton, they offered a kid from his high school last night. I wrote something on Bryson Bowell, a receiver from Tennessee, uh, the other day who is going to officially visit at some point this fall, hopefully early in the fall. That's really the position. And you have to figure out, and we've talked about it, Scott, high school, junior college, transfer portal, you've got to do something with that position. For sure. Uh, you know, they have right now six uh, current uh, players on the on the uh, scholarship uh, wide receivers. You're gonna lo- you're probably gonna lose Nico Regani, and uh, you know he could come back for another year, but would he want to? Uh, you know he had the year of prep school plus five years of football. That's a lot, unless he thinks that he needs one more year to be an NFL guy. 
Uh, my guess is probably not. But then I think uh, you look at, um, you know, you're going to bring in Alex Modis. You still have six. And then out of the ones you have left, um, just, you know, Brody Brecht, how much longer is he going to just play football? Um, you know, he's going to have to make a decision at some point. I don't think you can do both for an extended period of time. And and uh, so th- and we've talked about it before. I know I mentioned it before that that's there. That's the one position where I think they need to be a little more active in the transfer portal. I think they need to look at, uh, you know, it could be FCS receivers. Yeah. You know, those, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to go get the, you know, it's not like, Alabama going and grabbing Jamison Williams, who's the number four receiver at, at Ohio State and becoming one of the best in the country. It's more of a matter of they need to get, uh, you know, just guys who can come in and play right away. And they've been okay, you know, like a Charlie Jones type. So, I, you know, that to me is something that I guess, yeah, as you said, it's fluid. There are multiple ways to do it. It doesn't have to be today. It could be later. It could be during the fall. It could be decommits or Juco guys, there could be transfers, um, there could be transfer portal, whatever, you know. So, and there will be guys that emerge this year, their senior years of high school, too. So, you just got to turn over every rock, right? I mean, there may be some great athlete, like like a Laporta, for instance, in central Illinois that's been completely overlooked. That maybe he's playing running back, maybe he's playing defensive back. All of a sudden, you look at him and wow, he's six one, he's you know, 180 ish, he can catch, you know, the ball, you can run it, you know, maybe we move him to receiver and uh, then all of a sudden you've got, you know, a good player. And, and that's the way Iowa's built anyway. That's what's made Iowa set apart. But, you know, there are three more visitors that they've had in June that haven't committed yet. Um, I think Kendrick Gilbert, it sounds kind of like his, uh, he's not going to be probably an Iowa Hawkeye. Um, but the other two, I'm still kind of wondering, Asa Newsom and, and Jordan Allen. And I think, Newsom in particular is one you'd really like to have because, uh, you know, Ben Keeter, he's kind of like Brody Brecht in some ways where, uh, you know, he just won the Pan Am games at, at what, 90 kilograms or whatever it was. And, you know, how long are you going to have him to play linebacker? And uh, like He and Brody are both capable Division One football contributors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With a chance to be really good, both. Yeah, right. But I also think it's pretty clear that Breck's best sport is baseball and Keeter's is wrestling. Yeah, right. It's just can that, that I think it's even more fascinating to me with Keeter. You know, baseball is one thing because you can make a lot of money doing it. Yeah. You can go be a pro and play major league baseball. <laughs> so ultimately, the conversation is you have a better upside as a major league baseball player than an NFL football player. But with Keeter, it's, Olympic athlete, you know, Olympic sport. But that said, you know, he's so freaking good. I mean, 72 and oh, and, and it's, it's one thing to win lower weights at, at in high school, you know, to go from whatever the, the lowest or second lowest and to kind of move your way up that way. It's another thing to do it at the upper weights and win as a freshman, sophomore, and just continue to climb and do it. I just, Yes. I wonder just from a body, mm-hmm. from a physical standpoint, you know, the two sports, how, especially it's yeah. not like he's a big lumbering offensive or defensive lineman that's going to wrestle heavy. Yeah. You know, he's a guy that's going to come in as a linebacker, which is a speed position, especially right. in the current college football. You got to be able to run 
And then also, what are you training for? We know that the wrestlers train like, yeah, like just crazy people with their training. So I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. And linebackers and shoulders, man. I yeah, mean, labrums and uh, that's that's tough. You know, I mean, I'm, even a a lingering high ankle sprain, you yeah. know, is just one of those things where you, they take such a beating during the course of the year, and a lot of times it takes them weeks to recover and sometimes there's surgeries i mean look at this year they didn't have any of their three starting linebackers uh because of injuries so um that's that's to me probably where the question lies with him uh, is a does he think he's an nfl caliber linebacker and can he withstand the 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 threshold of attrition that football provides you to your body in order to compete at a high level in wrestling or is it going to be an either or I think we'll get that answer maybe even sooner than we do with Brett. Yeah. And it could just be how things play out, you know, yeah. like you're saying, we'll get the answer. You just never know. I mean, we thought, you know, the last, I'm trying to make sure I have not forget anybody, but one person that obviously comes to mind is Connor McCaffrey. Can he yeah. juggle baseball and basketball? And it just turned out that eventually basketball was the one, one that won out. He just couldn't make the two work. And uh, I think at some point you get to that point. I don't know if you can go for five years doing both. It's just, it's so much, the, the demand, it's, it's so demanding to play one major college sport, to try to yeah. do two and then academics. That's just, it's a, it's a, it's a big ask. And, and you look at even Brody, uh, you know, a guy who broke his what wrist or his hand, uh, second day of practice last August and that set him back in both sports. And, yeah. you know, he, he's tweaked a hammy before in the spring. And, and so how does that affect you on the mound? How does that affect you? And, and so one little thing can throw both sports off very quickly and make a recovery different for each one. I mean, you know, a, a knee may be different in football versus wrestling. And, and, you know, that said, I could see a, a basketball player or a skill position football player making the transition to baseball easier than I can a very physical position football player trying to do the same with wrestling. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging him at all. I think he's just a, a freaking stud. I mean, he's a machine. Um, I just think long-term big picture does the, is his primary aspiration to, to win a gold medal at the Olympics or is it to, to, start as a linebacker in the NFL. I think that's probably what will end up deciding his course eventually. Yeah. And again, like with Proctor, he's got another year of high school to see how his body develops over the next year. Um, Looking at the 17 in the class so far, Scott, I think there are nine on defense and eight on offense. So pretty good balance there. Tight end, running back in the group, quarterback in the group, uh, quite a few defensive backs, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. Um, so yeah, really receiver. I mean, I think they could probably add it. You can never have enough, enough tight ends when you're Iowa, you add another tight end, uh, that works. Uh, another running back wouldn't be a terrible idea. Wide receiver obviously is a position yeah. of need there. And then, uh, linebacker maybe. Well, if they get Newsome, then I think they're good. Yeah. That that's, that's really the one. Uh, yeah. And then if you don't get him, you kind of move on, I think, and probably, you know, if you if you find the right linebacker beyond him, fine. Yeah. If not, you know, just fill another need. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, defensive line, you'd like obviously to try to get one more maybe. Yeah. And, you know, is that Jordan Allen? You know, could it be. could be, you know, if he's really, really there's two more left. And then unless somebody falls in your lap, you feel pretty good and you start looking ahead. The good thing for Iowa is you can really secure this class and feel like, okay, we've got the core of what we want and we're going to really pay attention to them and, and not worry so much about, you know, you know, looking outwardly last year, they had to do that a little more. Uh, so I, I think, uh, you know, wide receiver two, at least two more tight end, one more, maybe another running back. I don't know if that's necess- a necessity depending on what happens this year that I think that's probably the case this year is if, uh, you know, you have five um, running backs, what happens with Devin Hilson? What happens with the two freshmen come in, you know, will both Williams's be uh, in the fold, you know, do any of them transfer out, then that maybe alters your thoughts. Uh, you know, offensive line, I think they're in pretty good shape, although, you know, they maybe could look at one more overall, I, you know, and, and the 24 class, they really like what's going on there. So I could see them going fairly low, just, you know, if all things going right now, I could see them going at, 2021 and then push it back a few more or um, just depending of course on attrition at the end of this year yeah you want to leave yourself some wiggle room and they've got plenty of wiggle room here now to take them to signing day uh, in December and uh, so uh, let's wrap up a little basketball recruiting Scott Um, Iowa with two commitments in the 23 class in Owen Freeman and Brock Harding um I did a story earlier this week on J.P. Estrella, a big man from out east uh, who will officially visit Iowa and then Duke at the end of this month. That's obviously a huge one if they could get him. Similar situation to what, you know, kind of the uh, kind of the same similar story as Luca in terms of Fran was in early. He's built a relationship this spring and summer. A lot of the bigger schools have come in, Kansas, Duke, obviously. Um, so the, it'll be a challenge there. But I like Iowa's chances. But, you know, if they lose them, if they lose JP to, to Duke or Kansas or somebody like that, you just, oh, well, you move on. But if you can get a win here uh, and add him to Freeman and Harding with the with Price Sanford st- sitting out there as well as a, a a pretty likely commitment to the class that would be your four and that's a pretty good class yeah that'd be a great class I think that's exactly what you want if you're Iowa is if you can get a high level power forward type to go along with a really good shooting guard of course and in Price Sanford I, I think you're in, you're in great shape you've got a decent post in Freeman and then Harding is uh you know he's a different player so I'm not going to but situationally comparable to Jordan Bohannon in that, that, you know, not a lot of people know him, like him, or, you know, think of him that highly right now, but he can step in and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this guy's going to play it for us for four years and, and contribute or Jordan's case for six, but <laughs> contribute in a lot of different ways and doing a lot of different things. So uh, yeah, Estrella is a, a, a really big time recruit, you know, cause he's, He's kind of what, like a Jack Nungy type, would you compare? I mean, what, what would you say his strengths are? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like, yeah, I, that's not a bad comp. He's, uh, I wouldn't say he and Freeman are, are 
real different from each other. I think they could play together and complement each other because they have decent. They they both have can stretch the floor a little bit. They're decent passers. They've got length. Um, I think adding those two together um, on a roster that doesn't have proven big men at this point beyond Philip Robracha and you know we can debate whether or not he's playing at a position and kind of what his ceiling is but I think you with Estrella and Freeman you get two high level post players that can also uh stretch the floor a little bit kind of that uh you know the stretch four types that are are um successful in college basketball I think you get both of those you get Sanford as your shooter and Harding as a guy who you take as a point guard that you see you see what happens with him he could be a guy that comes in and kind of just works his way up as a backup he could come in and light the world on fire it's hard to figure out what he's going to be until you get him on the court with players of that level and see what he can be sure and today uh, they made it official that Iowa was going to play Duke in the uh, in Jimmy V Classic at Madison Square Garden. So maybe uh, maybe Estrella could just uh, hold, <laughs> you know hold off on his signing till December, right? No. <laughs> there have been there have been a couple of interesting games that have been set up uh, yeah. you know, with, with Georgia Tech. I think it is it's here, but then also uh, uh, on the women's side, NC State coming to play Iowa. I mean the both the Big Ten tournament and regular season champ versus the ACC big uh, tournament and regular season champ, you know, for the ACC big 10 challenge. That is, that's a TV game. You know, that's something that really comes out. So I, I hope that gets some play, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, when Fran finally releases this, the full schedule here, but uh, you know, I, you know, I, <clears throat> have you had a chance to watch Keegan Murray yet in summer league? Yeah, I've watched him a couple times. I was on vacation. I watched last night, and, you know, he's just – you wondered how – you always wonder how a game is – a player's game is going to translate to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think context is important here. It's the NBA Summer League, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the primetime league um, yeah. in that not a ton of defense. It's kind of disjointed. Uh, but he looks like he belongs. The things that – the, the skills and the traits that made him successful here are transferring over to there at least early. He just, I don't know. It's, it, he looks, it's, it almost looks effortless. Yeah. He just kind of plays the game at his speed and is very productive, very um, efficient. He's just, I, he's going to be a good pro. There's no doubt about it, and I don't know where that ceiling is, but I think there's still room to go. Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's, it's great for him, and he's he's looked the part more. And I know, yeah. I mean, there's not much going on right now other than baseball, and uh, at least last night, you know, there was some you know, a lot of chatter, even nationally, um, you know, about him against Chet Holmgren and and the way he competed and dominated and. And, uh, but I don't think it's that far off. He's just, he's such a, he's got such a great personality and it, and it's low key. He's intense. Don't get me wrong, but there's just so much to like about the way he competes. And, um, and so be able to take that and, and channel it and move it and just do so many good things with it. And 
it's it's going to be really neat to watch him grow. And then, you know, this weekend uh, there's another draft too, the the Major League Baseball draft, and and there's a good chance that uh, Adam Major uh, will be uh, you know one of the highest draft picks in Iowa history. You know, since at least Wes Oberbuehler when he was a second rounder in what ninety eight, ninety nine, or whatever. So, um, whose son know, is whose son is dealing for City High and will be playing in the state tournament at Banks Field next week. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> but you think about it, Iowa has, you know, had a first rounder in football, had a first rounder in basketball, and could potentially have a first rounder in baseball. And I'd have to look it up, but I would guess that there that's never happened before because I think only what Castro is maybe the only first rounder Iowa's had. Maybe they've had one other one, maybe Cal Eldred, but you'd have to match it up to see if it all happened the same year. Yeah. But uh, that would be very impressive. Yeah, great time right now in Iowa athletics. A lot of individual stars that hopefully can uh, cash in on their NIL brands. Um, Envisioning to see we're, we're one year in now, Scott. So we'll see what this fall brings in terms of uh, NIL and advertisements and things like that. Uh, Estella's is firmly entrenched with its various athletes. I like what it does here locally. Yeah. We'd like to see some more local businesses get involved with uh, Iowa athletes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it makes perfect sense. We need to, you know, we've seen a lot of commercials with Caitlin Clark and of course she's a, a superstar. I'd like to see more, more with athletes. And I think that they'll start to, that'll start to filter on. It was so new and everybody was coming out of COVID. We, yeah. You know, businesses too. So I think we'll start to see that grow. I think you'll start to see some of the the donors who you know own businesses in the in the corridor really start to take advantage of that and realize that you know Spencer Lee talking about you know <laughs> like Hawkeye uh, settlement and title and settlement and, whatever <laughs> and you know stuff like that for Steve Anderson. So I could see some of that happening fairly soon. Yep, should be an interesting fall as we creep closer to football season. Scott, will, Scott and I will bring you uh, the latest news here on the podcast and break things down for you. We've got a couple of weeks before we head out to Indianapolis for Big Ten meetings, so the season's getting closer, Scott. We're, uh, we're on the brink here, so to speak. We're midway through July and uh, starting to crank it up here. Man, I tell you what, this has been another busy summer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, with everything, I, I've been doing a lot of. There's no more stuff, off so. season, man. Yeah. You know, so it's like the stuff with Iowa is one side of what I do, and then the Big Ten stuff is the other. And the Big Ten stuff has kept me, you know, chasing my tail. So uh, it'll be it'll be nice when the meteorites deal is completed, just so that can be out of the off the plate. But, but yeah, we're uh, we're about we're less than two weeks away from big 10 media days. And that's always kind of the kickoff to the season. And, and I look forward to sharing more of our thoughts uh, with you here in, in the coming weeks. No doubt. Thank you everybody for listening to the Hawkeye hotspot podcast. Thank you to Edward Jones, wild Rose casino and systems unlimited for their support. Um, and we will be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.